Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Weeks ago, we were here. Yeah, that's right, the weather. It came, that snow came and it went came and melted I'm not disappointed I kind of like how today felt honestly but uh, Revelation chapter 17 I might do just a little bit a little overlapping uh, just because you've slept a few days since two weeks ago so have I amen Revelation 17 verse number one I'm going to do a little skipping around here for us tonight uh, in my reading right now so just follow my lead the Bible says and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying unto me come up hither I will shew unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters verse 3 so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns verse 15 and he saith unto me the waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Verse 18. This is the last verse here of this chapter. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. This is part 15b in our series of revelation that's been going on, I think, since last June. And so our subject tonight is the harlot. On the beast and for anybody that hasn't been with us for the entire journey I apologize but if I back this thing up you're gonna lose half a year uh, if I try to back this thing up and even get you on 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 page here but we do have a podcast here at First Apostolic Church and if in your own time you would like to catch up you can find these on that podcast just look up First Apostolic Church through iTunes and you can get on board. Amen. But for the rest of us, we're just going to continue on. And I'm sorry if there's something just doesn't piece together for you because this is kind of like a puzzle. We've already put some pieces together, okay? And so we're just putting some others together. Amen. Lord Jesus, I come to you tonight. Pray, oh Lord, you would touch our minds and our understanding. You would help us, God, in this Bible study here this evening. Pray, oh Lord Jesus, today, God, enlighten us, God, through your word. Pray, God, let something be said, perhaps, God, that... Lord, as the apostle said, knowing the terror of the Lord, he persuaded men. And so, God, if I can just even convey maybe a portion of that, that it would be a tool of persuasion for maybe some here, God, that are standing, God, in betwixt and between, in the balance. Pray, God, you would help us tonight. We'll love you for it. The lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Everyone say amen. Amen. You may be seated this evening. You may be seated. Hallelujah. So allow me just for a moment to review ever so ever so slightly or maybe not so slightly. I don't know. You be the judge of that. But a little a little redundant. Our primary focus in Revelation chapter 17 has been this false religion aspect of Babylon. We spoke last week how there isn't necessarily two Babylons as much as it is one Babylon that has two different aspects to it. Chapter 17, we're speaking of the false religion aspect of Babylon. And in chapter 18, we'll be looking at the political or government side of that Babylon as well. And the false religion 
the false religion during the times of what Scripture describes as the tribulation times will be supported according as we see here in chapter 17. This false religion will be supported by a one world, one economic system or government that will be ultimately led by the Antichrist who is, according to Revelation chapter 12, empowered by Satan himself. And so when we talk about this false religion, uh, the false religion is going to be made to think that it is in control. You see uh, the, what's depicted in Revelation 17 as the false religion is this, this woman who's described as, as a whore that's sitting on a scarlet beast that has uh, seven heads and ten horns. And so this false religion that's on this beast with seven heads and ten horns being the false government or the, false e- or the economic one world government system that is to come, uh, the false religion is made to think because she's writing on this that she is in control uh, and she is having, if you will, at a stage in time, the support of the one world government, the support of this economic system. But eventually, as we read in chapter 17, the tables are going to turn on her and the political side, more importantly, specifically says the ten horns upon this beast are going to turn to this false religious system that's described as a whore and going to devour her and take her down and make her bare and make her naked. And at that time, at that time, whenever all this happens, the false prophet who has been kind of gathering together this whole false religion, he's kind of been gathering everybody into one pot, all these religions of the world, getting them together in one pot. That false prophet at that time, he, he's, really, he's really working for the Antichrist. And he's just waiting for the timing that's just right. And this will be the timing whenever the political system turns against the false religious system. That the false prophet will then begin to persuade all these people that's in this false religious system to pledge their allegiance and their worship to the Antichrist. That he that they would worship his the image of the beast as Revelation 13 tells us and that he will persuade them and the the, the mandate will be put forth that they should take uh, the beast his number his name or his mark or they will not be able uh, to buy or sell that's all that's what all that is going to lead up to so the, the false religion church really think it's going to have it together it has the support of a political system but that's going to turn on them And then the false prophet says, hey, you need to worship the Antichrist. This false church is going to be the Antichrist church, one and only upon the world. And so the false church, the Bible says, it sits upon many waters. Whenever the angel beckoned John to come see what he was looking at in in verse number one, he said, come see this woman that sits upon many waters. And scripture, and there is no better interpreter of scripture, you've heard me say a thousand times, than scripture. Scripture interpreting Scripture. And this does this for us in verses 7 through 18. We understand then that the Bible tells us in verse 15 that it said that the angels telling John the meaning and interpreting this for him said those waters that you saw, that this whore that was sitting upon these waters, those waters are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. That's what these waters are. As a matter of fact, the Bible says then whenever John went to see this vision that the angel had told him to come see, whenever he looked, the woman was sitting upon, he saw a woman that was upon a scarlet colored beast that had seven heads and ten horns and we come to find out later even to understand in the last verse 
that what she was upon or what she what they saw was a woman that was reigning over all everybody say all over all over all the kings of the earth so john john says here's the angel says john come look at the waters amen he gets there he sees this scarlet beast the seven heads and ten horns later the angel tells us the waters are the multitudes the peoples the nations and the tongues and then the very last verse we have the clarification amen that not only is she a system but she may also uh, be alluding to a particular city and she reigns over the kings of the earth or over as we know heads and horns many times or symbolism particularly in Daniel and Revelation as kings and kingdoms so saying she, she's reigning over the kings of the earth uh, Emil Walls if I may quote him he said this he said as a woman he says she represents a church or religious system but she is more than that as a whore, she is the false church or false religious system. And he says, as a city, she reigns over the kings of the earth. He says, this gives her the structure and co-equal power to that of the political entity or the political side to Babylon. And so the woman that is described in verse 18 as the great city, Babylon, she is this, she represents one of the many aspects, if you will, of Babylon. Babylon had a lot of different aspects to it. Old Babel from Revelations 10 and 11 that we've seen years ago with the first start of all of this mess back at Babel. There are very different many aspects found at the city of Babel or the city of Babylon. It was an ancient city, yes, but as every city has different facets. You have an economic side, you have a political side. Uh, in some cities, there is a, a more of a steer toward a particular religion than some others here. Uh, your best guess in the city of Mount Carmel, sorry. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, so you have all these different facets. Uh, and with that, Babylon as a city influences all these different roads, this political, this religious, her influence is in all of these different facets of her. And so with that being said, in Revelation 17, we're, we're looking at the religious side of the city of Babylon, the religious side of Babylon, and we understand then how she could set up on waters. This term is not only a literal but a figurative term. How she could set up on waters that could be multitudes, nations, tongues, and people. Because the ancient city of Babel, the ancient city of Babylon, Babel or Babylon, whichever you wish to call it, that ancient city sat near or even upon the Euphrates River. As a result of that, whenever a city sat near upon a river in olden times, that was a major advantage because it was a place of commerce. As a result of that, there was a lot of buying and trading going on. Ships would come and ships would go. And therefore, as a result of it, there's people from all over the world that convene at that hub and convene at that place because they can buy and sell their goods. And so that you have people from all the world doing commerce and trade at Babel because there's a waterway that goes through it. And as a result of that, then you have people of several different nations, tongues, countries that's being influenced by what Babylon can export. Being influenced by what Babylon has. And so spiritual Babylon, you might call it, the religious side that we see in Revelation 17 is nothing more but mirroring the literal Babylon of the Old Testament. And this is the way then that a false religious system can sit on waters of peoples, multitudes, tongues, and nations because in the literal sense, the city Babylon was situated in such a place it had influence on people all over the world 
because of them being able to come and commerce and trade right there. And so here's what you must consider. When God came down and he confused the language of the people of Babylon and said, we're going to build this tower up unto heaven and that city and everybody in that city, the religious system of that city, the political system of that city, the military system of that city, whenever they were scattered worldwide, then the whole influence of Babylon was spread out worldwide. Whether it be east or west or north and south, all over the place, the influence of Babylon went. And so the Bible says, speaking of this woman, we, we looked at some of those terms last week that was upon her forehead that she was mystery Babylon the great and that she was the mother of harlots and abominations. She had this upon her forehead. And this was not, this was not uh, a foreign, this was not anything weird because women who served as harlots or in harlotry often wore a label, if you will, upon their foreheads. Amen. And so we see this is what happens right here with this woman portrayed in Scripture. She has her label upon her foreheads, and she's the mother of harlots and of abominations of the earth. And, and as a matter of fact, the, 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 the whore has birthed the abominations that is found in her cup, as the Bible describes. There's abominations in her cup. The Bible says in Jeremiah 3.3, 3, just to show you that uh, there were harlots that had these labels and they were there on their foreheads. The Bible says, Therefore the showers have been with Hoden, and there have been no latter rain. Thou hast a whore's forehead. What that's, what that's describing is the label that a harlot or a whore would have upon her forehead. Thou hast a whore's forehead, and thou refusest to be ashamed. So Jeremiah even notes that a whore's forehead, amen, is right there because they would, what they would do is parade their harlotry about as they would go, their wretchedness, without any shame. Uh, without, without any recoiling. They would just want everybody to see and know who and what uh, they were. For one reason, well, they're trying to solicit some business for one. You know, it's like our billboards today, you know. Uh, get your whatever here. <laughs> well, I, I'm not trying to be too vivid here tonight, but uh, evidently that was billboards. They had the human billboards long ago uh, with these women of a ill repute. And so there, there's a running theme, though. It's just pause here for a moment we have a running theme we've already seen in the book of revelation we have stuff from the old testament of things that go on the forehead of labels or marks even signs indications that happen on the forehead if you remember sometimes whenever there's something like that on your forehead it denotes ownership it denotes ownership you remember in revelation 7 and revelation 14 the bible spoke of those 144,000 jews who were sealed in their foreheads, and that seal was the name of their father, Jesus Christ. Amen. And the Bible says, if you'll remember, Revelation 13, those who will worship the beast and fall down and worship his image, they, if they want to buy and sell, what are they going to do? They're going to take a mark, his number or name, where? In their forehead or in their right hand. And so the false church, this whore is really what this is describing, is going to have a name written on her forehead. Amen. But this, what's described on her forehead is very lewd. What's there is, is very filth, uh, uh, seductive, uh, uh, a whore, if you will, harlotry. And it's totally, totally different and contrasting. If you'll think of the true church, it's absolutely contrasting. As a matter of fact, if you think the Old Testament of the high priests, 
who had all of his priestly garments on and he had a miter that was on his forehead that exclaimed holiness unto the Lord. The miter that the false church has is absolutely different and contrary to what the old priests of the Old Testament church had. Holiness unto the Lord on the, the, the false church defilement, if you will, unto the Lord, unholiness unto the Lord. And so the woman, the woman, the whore in Scripture in, seven, in chapter 17 is, just, is not just a figure of the end times, not just a figure of the end times, but her roots go all the way back to Babel. Amen. Both the whore and the beast that we see her riding on stretch all the way back in reality to the time of Babel. The Bible says that John sees this woman and he wonders with admiration because what was a mystery, what at one time, you know, lurked in the shadows, in the backgrounds and behind the scenes, now has been totally revealed in a vision to John. Babel had its start way back then, but it's kind of in the shadows. You know of it here and there, but it's worked in some intimate places even close to the true church, but it kind of has a cloak that it's covering. John says, I, he was just awestruck in admiration because he's seen it now and revealed in his vision for what a, he had a light bulb moment, so to speak. This, this is absolutely something very uh, menacing, amen, that has been birthed all the way back then and has just been growing and lurking along until a time it will be revealed. And so, is everybody doing okay? And so while this beast certainly, this beast certainly supports this false religious system, it is the religious system, again, that will seem to have controlling influence at that time. And just for our back to our little pictures that we have going on here and my abbreviations false religion upon I'm going to go on OW on the one world G O one world government this is the whore this is the beast with the seven heads and ten horns amen she's upon him and she seems to have controlling influence over him for a time but there's something that we must remember and I this lesson uh it's necessary that we go back a lot and grab and grab and bring it back right here and refresh our memories over maybe some stuff that we've already said but if we remember that this this beast right here this beast is not only a kingdom but if you'll remember anywhere that there is a kingdom what else is there there is a king it's not only a kingdom that this is representing but it is also a king that it represents Amen. And if you remember, and you probably, you may, amen, if you remember me laughing over bare feet one time in Revelation 13, that'll probably be the only way some of you all remember. Amen. But uh, if you'll remember back in Revelation 13, whenever we spoke about that beast with seven heads and ten horns, you remember we spoke of it as being a composite of all the kingdoms that was previous to it. It was kind of a makeup of, uh, you know, one kingdom passed away, but there was always a part of it that was integrated into the next kingdom. And if I can get this thing flipped over, I've already done some uh, work so that maybe I won't have to do drawing while I'm talking. Amen. These, if you will, are my seven heads, all right, of the beast. And what that beast really, and those are my ten horns uh, on the very last head with reason and purpose. But what, pardon me? Yeah, whenever I take my time, I can really baffle you with something like this. <sighs> I'll take that as a compliment, I suppose. I didn't have to get out of compass to draw those circles. 
<clears throat> although it did take me about two or three times to get them even. But nevertheless, um, whenever we look then at this, this beast, remember it's a composite of the past world empires that we've seen in Revelation chapter 13 and before. Remember, John in Revelation 13 wasn't looking forward, he was looking backward as though all of these things had already happened and he was looking backward and that's how we've seen had the body of a leopard, the mouth of a lion, bare feet, ha ha, all right, and everything else. And so as they look backward, uh, some of the ones that we know of absolutely starting in Daniel because whenever Nebuchadnezzar was in control was Babylon, we went forward with Babylon, Medo-Persia came next, the Grecian kingdom, Rome. What we're looking for in number seven is something that's not quite come together yet, which is a revived Roman Empire. But prior to that, you have a couple different variations. You, have, you can go to Egypt, to Babel, if you want to trace these kingdoms all the way back to Babel. Some people like to trace them back to what relates to Israel. I kind of favor going back to Babel because that is where the, the putridness and the wickedness and the influence really stemmed from. And so I follow personally, just personally, opinion, follow the path of Babel, where Babel going to Egypt and then Babylon and so on and so forth. And so all of those, those are just a, a, a composite of everything that have been in the past. But whenever we come to the ten horns that are upon the beast, the ten horns that are upon the beast, and these, these are, you'll see pictures made of this seven-headed, ten-beast thing. You can go to the internet, look it up. And sometimes they got uh, one horn there, two horns here, there, you know, on each of these heads. But that's not the way it is. Because these kings right here are not serving, and that's right here, these kings right here are not, are not serving successively. These individual kingdoms, all right, serve successively, but not, not these last ten kings. They're not in succession. It's not like a couple happened in Babylon and few there these are simultaneous they all happen at the same time and they have not yet come to fruition they've not yet come to head and so that's the reason I depict them on the last head because whenever Rome is revived that's when these 10 are going to be uh, doing their service in the kingdoms and and another reason if we go back and the reason why I follow this line of Babel because we are looking at that particularly tonight and its influence all the way up here now in Revelation 17 there has been a certain amount of, of wickedness, evil, and you could probably do this probably with any kingdom, but it's prominent in these kingdoms that, that evolve until we come to this seven-headed, ten-horned beast. Because all the way back here at Babel, we have the first person who had a kingdom by the name of Nimrod who formed this Babylon to begin with. And as we learned two weeks ago, all right, got all my weeks mixed up here, two weeks ago, we were talking about his wife and his son, remember, Semiramis and her son, uh-huh, and how they are kind of very closely depict that, that mother that's holding the child, very similar to like a Virgin Mary holding Jesus. You remember all that stuff um, and, and how everything that, 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 that Nimrod had, and I'm trying to, re I'm just so hard to just get all this in. We might not get done tonight, okay? Forgive me now. <clears throat> if you'll remember, whenever... Well, what's so bad about Nimrod? He was making a tower up into heaven. You remember the moment that he didn't obey God? You remember, because God said, scattered abroad, replenish the earth, be fruitful, multiply. The moment he didn't obey God, he rebelled. Remember, we went to Samuel, rebellion is as witchcraft. You remove the as because it's actually in, in italics, which means it was added, is witchcraft. And so whenever you're practicing witchcraft, you're entertaining not a supernatural, but not the positive, but the negative side of it. And so right here you have 
negativity, witchcraft, if you will, right in the very start of the first kingdom, Babel. And so that goes on. We come to Egypt. Who's the bad guy at Egypt? Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the bad guy at Egypt. Amen. He's the enemy of God's people. Was there pagan practices going on? Absolutely. The ten plagues were not just ten plagues because God thought, you know what? I think I'm going to do these plagues, and that's the reason why. You read the scriptures. The Bible states how those plagues were against the gods of Egypt because each one of those plagues, when it was towards lice, when it was towards flies, when it was towards uh, 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 the, the sun, all of those were gods they served. Each one of those were gods they served. And so whenever he took out all this, these ten plagues, he was basically taking supposedly their gods to contest, amen, to competition. And he was usurping authority over them. So yeah, they had their false gods, a myriad of false gods. And so it passes on till we get to Babylon. What do we got at Babylon? Who's the bad guy at Babylon? Oh, Nebi, Nebi. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. He's a bad guy. Amen. He's thinking pretty good of himself. He makes an image that everybody will fall down and worship. Amen. He's the bad guy in Babylon. We go on to Persia. Who's the bad guy in Persia? Some may say, oh, I don't know who it is. Think for a moment. If you think back at Persia, now you remember, you got Ezra, you got Esther, you got Nehemiah, you got all these. If you remember Persia, Esther, Esther was a Jew that was serving underneath a Persian king in a Persian empire, all right? A bad guy among uh, King Ahasuerus, who was the king of Persia, who brought Esther into his, his home, the Jew. There was a man there that caused a lot of trouble with her uncle Mordecai by the name of Haman, Haman gave, Haman put out a decree from the king, said, King, uh, all the Jewish people need to be killed. Let me have your signet ring. We'll sign this, get this done. He says, okay, do whatever you need to do. Haman was going to kill all the Jewish people until, until Esther gets word of it. So we got evil, pagan practices, yes, Persia, in the Medo-Persian empire and era through the man Haman. It goes on just a little bit for, further in Greece, what do we got going on there? Well, it states very clearly for us because the Bible says, this is going back, folks, okay? There is a goat with one great ultimate horn that's depicted in Daniel 8. That horn is broke and upsprings four, if you will remember, and off of one of those four horns comes a little horn, which was indication of the Antichrist, all right? having not only a Grecian heritage, but also a Roman heritage because Rome will later swallow up the Grecian Empire. As a matter of fact, if you go on my wife's uh, Facebook page, she hit me in a link of a guy who presently is of Grecian descent who right now, if you were to look at it, kind of lines up to be a possibility for uh, Antichrist type of personality. If, you, if you're interested in that, that's something that turns your crank, go read it because it's quite interesting, amen, to take in. I don't got time to go in it here. You understand, okay, <laughs> amen. But anyway, then we get to Rome. And again, we're still speaking about this spirit or this, this token of the Antichrist because, and all of this is spawned from Babel here, we hear about how there will be the prince of the people of the Romans that shall come. In, in Daniel chapter number 9, mainly verses like 24 and 25, where it speaks of that 70 weeks of Daniel. Remember us spending some time there? How whenever Messiah would be cut off, after he would be cut off, there would come then the prince. The prince would come. And so he, we have him, and he's coming all the way. That spirit, that, that rebellion, that, that, that witchcraft from generation to generation. And so we see then the finality of him, not just Ahab in the final days. He's been here all along. 
That's how the Apostle Paul said the spirit of Antichrist is already at work. Yeah, it's at work. It was working all the way back here. Amen. It will be revealed in the last times, but it was at work here. John, he's in admiration. Why? Because it was working all along, and in the vision, it was just revealed to John. Here is part of the wickedness of the end days through a false religious system that is yoking up with a false governmental system. Everybody okay? Yes, amen, glory, hallelujah. A question? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Revelations chapter number, speaking about in the one I gave in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 3.3, 3, concerning the harlot with, with that on her forehead. And the one in our scripture setting is, is, is Revelation 17 and verse number 5. Speaks about her name was upon her forehead. <clears throat> okay, no problem. I, I handle questions like that. Revelation 17, verse number 8, Sister McGee, if you can help me, please. The Bible says, the beast that thou sawest, it's speaking of the seven-headed, ten-horned beast, was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. Number one, remember, Satan in Revelation 12 was also described as seven heads, ten horns, and he issued forth from, of course, the bottomless pit. And it's he that is empowering the beast of this last days. Okay? And go into perdition or damnation, if you will. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. I've, I've, I've read regurgitated this material several times but allow me to one more time Rome as in the days of John the days of Jesus as we've seen in Daniel chapter 2 chapter 7 chapter 8 Rome fell apart alright fell apart it was wounded so to speak internal falling apart but in the last days, it'll come back to power. And we have venues by which it may. We have spoken about before some things we've considered is the United Nations, the European Union, all right? Uh, there's some others that we'll get in tonight, if I get there, that we can share as well. And so there was a time that Rome was and then was not, and it shall be again. The time between when Rome fell apart and before it's coming back together Seems like quite a long time, quite a long gap. But she will get herself back together. She was, is not, and then will be again. But again, when we talk about the beast, when we talk about the beast, we're not just talking about an empire or a king. We're also speaking, or not just a kingdom, we're also speaking of a king. And if you'll remember, I know I'm saying that a lot tonight, bear with me, but if you'll remember in Revelation chapter 13 when we spoke about the Antichrist, that, you know, he has this ability to deceive and, and seemingly do uh, miracles as though it would seem. And there's the possibility, well, whether this is one or the other or both, that he will die. If you read a lot of fiction, they'll tell you exactly that's what's going to happen. I can't tell you exactly that's what's going to happen because I have a hard time believing he can die and resurrect by his own power. But I do believe that he would have the possibility to stage himself as though he did die 
and come back to life and through his means of deception, which he's a master of, befool all of the people. So there's a process that when it speaks of this beast that was, is not, and then will be, not only is it maybe perhaps speaking of the Roman Empire, a kingdom, it could also very easily be speaking of the king of that kingdom as well. If that, in fact, what happens, he, he bewilders the people with his mastery of, of magic and sorcery to appear as though dead, come back to life, and they're like, oh, he's the man, you know, and everything else. When he's really trying to mimic what one man already did without any help, and that's Christ Jesus. Because everything that Christ does, the enemy wants to make an imitation of. Amen. And so, so there's a possibility of this all coming back to life. Chapter 13, Revelation 13 and verse number 3 indicates that just one of the heads, just one of the heads of the beast was wounded to death. Just one of the heads. Revelation 13, 3, it says, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. So again, I, you know, we're not talking about this whole thing. This whole thing had, had crumbled. We're talking about just one of the heads. And that's the reason why I point namely to Rome. Because of all of them, they're the only ones that ever fell apart. Just kind of internally went off the scene to come back then. Uh, possibly in, in our day, amen, or in the last days. <clears throat> and, and notice that though, within that verse, keep it up there. Verse number three then also states, it just... You know, in so many words, it says in one of his, his heads were wounded to death and it speaks his deadly wound. So it, it's not, it speaks in terms of giving personality, a gender to this thing. Where again, where you could see both aspects of a king, a real person and a kingdom, just a entity as, as it will. All right, all right, amen. And so if he is the master deceiver, which as the Bible betray, or we need to betray him, portrays him to be, amen, a worker of deception, there's a possibility that he could very well imitate death and supposedly, quote unquote, be brought back to life, all right? And back, back after a wound of death, as it were. Revelation 17 and verse number nine through 10, the Bible says, and there and here rather is the mind which hath wisdom, the seven heads, are seven mountains on which the woman setteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. In verse number 10, the phrase that that begins with, and there are seven kings, is arranged in the Greek manuscript, in the Greek text as... They also, they are also seven kings, or and kings they are seven. In other words, if you allow me to read this from verse 9 and insert that, as it literally is from the Greek. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains which the woman sitteth. They are also seven kings. You see the continuity here then. What it is portraying then through the Greek text reference is, is that these seven mountains in verse 9 there happen to be also seven kings. Seven mountains are seven kings. Now, could the seven heads represent seven hills or mountains of Rome? Because as we said, I think two weeks ago, we talked about, or four weeks ago, sometime before today, is that Rome is, 
is typically known as the, the city of seven hills or the city of seven mountains. So could these seven heads represent the seven hills or mountains that Rome is known to sit on and also represent the seven kings or kingdoms at, at the present and yet also reaching back to the past? So, so could it represent Rome out of, of the present and reaching all the way back to seven kingdoms of the past? And my answer is simply this. I'm not going to do a bunch of fighting. I suppose they could. I suppose they could. Uh, Rome for years has been known as the city of seven hills. Amen. But, and perhaps in the last times, Rome, perhaps Rome will be a hub for a one-world government system. But again, she's not the mother of them, as we discussed two weeks ago. Mother all, goes all the way back to right here. She's not the mother of harlots. She could be a daughter, but she's not a mother. So it's possible that it would go all the way back to that, that time. Amen. That it may be a hub. Uh, Rome may. But however, these seven mountains, according to the Greek text, these seven mountains and seven heads may re be referring to them being the seven kings or the seven kingdoms that I've listed before you. Again, let me regurgitate some information. King represents kingdoms. And so, whether there's a king, there's a kingdom, or if you will, you want to scroll in there, a mountain. We've, we've looked at this before. Allow me to again. Jeremiah 51. Amen. My, 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 thank you, Brother Zach, for stepping in. Uh, Jeremiah 51 and verse 24. Everybody look up here. I know I said that, and everybody's going to look back. I'm going to slap you all. Your mom didn't teach you anything. Amen. Don't stare. Revelation 51 and verse 24. And I will render unto Babylon and to all the inhabitants of Chaldea all their evil that they have done in Zion in your sight, saith the Lord. Verse 25. Behold, I am against thee, O destroying mountain. We have a parallel here. He says, I will render into Babylon. In verse 25, he says, Behold, I am against thee, O destroying mountain. He's saying Babylon is the mountain. So we see where a kingdom is represented as a mountain in Scripture. Furthermore, in Daniel 2, that image that he's seen, that head of gold, the brass, the silver, uh, the iron, and then the iron clay and the feet. Remember, there's going to be a stone that's taken, that's made without hands, the Bible says. It's going to hit the feet of the image. It's going to be destroyed, and that's going to raise up a great mountain. That's going to be the kingdom of our God. Amen. So even the Lord's kingdom that comes in the last days is portrayed as a mountain. So again, you see a kingdom represented as a mountain in Daniel 2, 35. Thank you for putting that up there. Amen. The everlasting kingdom of Christ, it's referred to as a great mountain that fills, the Bible says, the whole earth. Now, we talked about this, but I must, I must reiterate. It says concerning these, these seven mountains, seven kings, that five are fallen, one is, and one is not yet come. All right, so we have five. Here's our five that are fallen. Here's our five that are fallen. These no longer exist in John's day. Look at according to John's day. When John is writing this, which is around 95 or 96 AD, he's writing this. Rome is in, in control during his day. Five from John's vantage point have fallen. And one is, one is, the one that he's currently serving in. It's Rome. And one is yet to come the number seven head on the beast. So in John's day, there's Rome serving, all these have already fallen. And he, John says, I see that there's still yet one to come. And it's one still yet to come for our day. Amen. It's still yet in the future. But here's what we know about the one that is to come. The scripture says it right there in, in, in Revelation chapter 17 and verse number 10. It says, and he, then again, gives them that personal pronoun to him to this again, a king 
and his kingdom. He is going to serve or going to be there just for a short time. Just for a short time. The Bible says in Revelation 17, verses 12 and 13, and the ten horns, there they are, nice horns there on number seven, the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings. So we got ten horns here that are ten kings as well, which have received no kingdom as of yet. As of from the vantage point of where John's living, they don't exist as yet. He says there's ten, they have no kingdom of yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean one absolute hour. It's just telling us it's for a little bit of time. I mean, I guess he could have said one second or one minute, but he's just trying to get the idea a short space of time. That these 10 are going to receive power from the beast. One hour with the beast. Verse 13, these have one mind. These what? These 10 horns. These 10 kings of the latter days. They're going to have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. So it's interesting. These 10 kings that will come in the last days are going to be able to assume their position because the Antichrist is going to devise it to be so. Yet when they get their position, they're going to turn around and give whatever power he allowed them to have back to him. He's going to allow these men to get in their positions and places to receive rule and power if those are as through the European Union and United Nations, as they already have the whole globe divided up into 10 divisions, if that's the case, if, if he's allowing then 10 people to come in uh, uh, power over the 10 regions of the world and he's orchestrating it, so they get in there to get it for the purpose that they can turn around and give it back to him. Why? Because then you have world power, world domain. Amen world power and world domain in just a short little time so they have no kingdom as yet but they will have some the enemy the, the antichrist will help them but then they'll surrender their strength and their power to him back to him verse 11 i'm keeping track of time here and the beast that was so it's going back to this this um this phrase again and the beast that was and is not even he is the eighth and is of the seventh and goeth into perdition or damnation if you will because eventually the false church and the false Christ or the antichrist if you will are going to be thrown in the lake and fire like Revelations 19 tells you and I okay look at verse number 11 you got it up there thank you verse number 11 grammatically grammatically I know we didn't want to go to school but the word he here in this verse refers to the seventh head mountain king whatever you wish to call it which represents the seventh kingdom the reign of the last kingdom is said to be relatively short that seventh kingdom is to be said relatively short because what do we have here we have a roman empire which would probably make up uh, of, of a good portion of the middle east type area a roman empire if you have 10 kings or 10 divisions of the world that kings are over that receive power. So we have, we have a, a kingdom and a power right here that has, been, that has been backed and endorsed, if you will, by the Antichrist. But then the moment that they surrender their power to the Antichrist, he, in essence, becomes number eight. But that's how he's also of the seventh because he had his hand in the cookie jar right there. 
Does someone understand what I'm saying? So that's how the scripture says, even he is, uh, is the eighth, but of the seventh. That's how the scripture even further portrays, if we look at it of this, the beast that was, the whole system for that matter, all the way back at Babel, this, this whole system that was, even if we go even to Rome, and was not, all right, and was not, even he is the eighth, here he is because they're going to yield all their power to him, but he's even of the seventh because he was working all of this to his advantage even back at this point of the timeline. Does everybody understand what I just tried to the best of my ability, amen, to uh, explain right there? Amen. So not only do we, and let me explain it from this, this, this angle. Not only is he the eighth in the sense of the heads, but he could also very easily be considered the eighth, if you wanted to, from the viewpoint of the horns. Because in Daniel chapter number two, the ten horns that are upon, or let's go to chapter seven, the ten horns that are upon the dreadful, terrible beast, the Bible says, the only description is just described how terrible and horrible it was. It was the fourth kingdom that the Bible portrayed there. It said that there came a little horn up and he basically took place or took out, if you will, three. If you take 10, let's use our fingers for math today. If you take 10, a little horn comes up, that would be 11, right? If it takes out three, I got 11 now. He's really the eighth. You understand what I'm saying? So even through that scheme, even through that scheme of the horns, whether it's the horns or heads, he is the eighth, and no doubt he can be of the seventh because the, the, the one that was prior to him, he has his history, even through the Grecian kingdom, he has his history, if we really want to really get technical, all the way back from the very beginning. Amen. <clears throat> Someone say amen. Glory. I had to wet my whistle, sorry. Yeah, it's good. All right. <laughs> so their powers because of the beast. Verse number 12 tells us that in Revelation 17. Their powers because of the beast. They yield their power to the Antichrist. Verse number 13 of Revelation 17. Making him the eighth, but he's of the seventh. All right. Because here they are. They, they submitted to him. They gave him what they had. <clears throat> and this king really that the Antichrist that becomes the eighth. He is just a historical culmination of, of everything that has been previous to him. All the wickedness, all the evil that you can imagine, hit the political platform, everything. Just a culmination of everything that was before him. Amen. <clears throat> I'm reading along here because I, I, I was going off of my notes and I, I've already said some of this stuff. <clears throat> if we go back to verse number 16, Verse number 16 of Revelation 17. So these ten horns, this ten-horned kingdom, they are spoken of, verse 16, that they shall, and the ten horns which thou sawest, the Bible says, upon the beast, these shall hate the whore. They're going to hate this false religion. And shall make her desolate and naked and shall tear and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. They are going to undermine the false church. The false prophet, no doubt, is going to be a part of that. Because, again, their purpose is to have all worship, have beast worship. 
Antichrist worship. Him being the, 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 the big man, so to speak. Revelation 17, 17, For God hath put in their hearts, look at this, tells, and all the, you know, this isn't just, we say, man, man, the enemy's really getting the other hand. A lot of this, everything that's going to happen, it's not getting out of the scope of what God has intended for the end of the world. I know that's hard for our minds to fathom. It's hard for us to grasp a hold of. But it's not like he's not given humanity chances either. So you've you, you got to view the judgment of God through the mercy that God has given. Amen? And so he says, for God hath put in their hearts, in whose hearts? These ten kingdoms. He's put in their hearts to fulfill his will, to do his purpose, to do what? To have that power given to him and then give it back to the Antichrist and to attack the false church of that hour and that day, to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. So all of this that's happening, folks, that will happen is going to be according to God's will. And so whenever they give their power to the beast, that's going to be according to God's will. Whenever the, first, the false church, amen, becomes the first church of the Antichrist, that's going to be according to God's will. Amen. And it's all just been wrapped up from the beginning of time in this deep, dark, sinister system. A religious side of it, political side of it, economic side of it. And it's going to though all be destroyed. The happy part is, I guess, if you can look at it like that, the happy part is it's all going to be destroyed by the Lamb of God. Amen. And his church, whenever he comes back the second time, is everybody doing okay? You are? Well, good. Because I hate to break right in the middle of lessons. Only got 50 more pages. We're all right. I'm joking. I'm joking. So the question is for us. Let's talk about now. Now. Is the false church coming together? Is it already coming together? And is Scripture going to bear true, which we know it is, but just for a rhetorical question, is this false church, is it, going, is it really going to straddle a, a political government system? And the, what I have rest here tonight won't take long to get through but just for you to think upon you can go to a website called www.parliamentofreligions.org it's the council for a parliament of the world's religions in 1893 the first formal gathering was in Chicago, Chicago Illinois I was so proud whenever I heard that our state was involved in this in 1893 the first formal gathering was in Chicago Illinois it was their first interreligious dialogue. 1893, folks. First interreligious dialogue between Eastern religions and Western religions, bringing their spiritual traditions supposedly together. And they have these conferences ever so many years. In 1993, they held their meeting in Chicago, Illinois. For seven days, the purpose of the meeting was to offer a global ethic, a document that would establish core values to which all the religions of the world, whether Christian or non-Christian, could agree. Religions from all the world. Their person come together, we're going to make a compact right here, a document that, that sets, rather than all of us looking at our differences, we'll find our similarities and we'll build something great on that. They said that religious conflict would tear our world apart and cause us to destroy it. And so attending the meeting there in 1993 in Chicago, Illinois, were such religions as such. The Muslims were there. The Jews were there. The Christians, both the Protestant and the Catholic side, were there. The Buddhists were there. New Agers were there. Wiccans were there. All finding their lines of similarity to come together in inter 
uh, religious faith. At this meeting in 1993 in our blessed state, hallelujah, I'm so proud, they wrote a document that said the following, we affirm that a common set of core values is found in the teachings of the religions and that these form the basis of a global ethic. There already exist ancient guidelines for human behavior which are found in the teachings of the religions of the world and which are the conditions for a sustainable world order. And finally, we must sink our narrow differences for the cause of the world community practicing a culture of solidarity and relatedness. Folks, 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 there's two things I want you to lasso on in what they said. A common set core of values and that we need to sink our narrow differences. Listen to Pastor Knight. What some people label as nothing but narrow differences is very much so nothing more but the difference between right and wrong. They label it narrow the Bible lays it, labels it a difference from right and wrong, true and false. Can I go this far? Saved and unsaved. And so this permeates throughout many religions today. Today. 18, I mean, it's had a great start back in 1893. And it goes through religions. Here's how it's affected one, and I, I'm not taking, I have no vendetta out for this woman whatsoever. But I'm just stating because she's a known person and I'm just sharing from her book, her book entitled Mother Teresa, Her People and Her Work, published in 1976. As many people quote Mother Teresa, this is what Mother Teresa said. She said, if in coming face to face with God, we accept him in our lives, then we become a better Hindu, a better Muslim, a better Catholic, a better whatever we are. What God is in your mind, you must accept. Now, folks, if that isn't an all-embracing, all-encompassing bunch of hoopla, I don't know what is. You can also go to www.uri.org. URI stands for United Religions Initiative. The idea for the URI came to California. Episcopal Bishop William Swing in 1993. There was an invitation by the United Nations, please note. There was an invitation by the United Nations to host a large interfaith service in San Francisco marking the 50th anniversary of the signing of the UN Charter. Remember, the UN is one of those that we can see maybe lining up for that one world governing body. And this one possible, I want to underscore possible, one world governing body is saying, let's get all the religions together. What's that starting to show me? a possibility of a false church riding on a government. Is someone listening to me? And so they, they're marking their 50th anniversary of the finding of the UN Charter, and so San Francisco was the place where the charter, not a, you know, it's not just where they're having their little religious gathering, that's where the United Nations signed their charter to begin with in San Francisco. They're wanting to just, you know, woohoo, we're going to celebrate 50 years, this is where we signed it in San Francisco, let's see if we can get the religions together at San Francisco. And so Bishop Swing asked himself, This is Bishop Swing who's hosting this. Asked himself, if the nations of the world are working together for peace through the United Nations, then where are the world's religions? Where are the world's religions? And so their founding conference actually took place in June of 1997. 
60 religious leaders from around the world gathered there to discuss its formation. This is, and I'm moving along. Please don't bail all of me yet. This is their preamble. They said, we, people of diverse religions, spiritual expressions, indigenous traditions throughout the world, hereby establish the United Religions Initiative to promote enduring daily interfaith cooperation to end religiously motivated violence and to create cultures of peace, justice, and healing for the earth and all living beings. Boy, that's really working out for them, I'm telling you. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm being a little sarcastic there. Amen. And so from that moment, the, the URIs hyphen UN, or the United Religions Initiative, United Nations, established and provided an ongoing presence then in the United Nations and through the United Religious Initiative. And so they started their agendas. They have agendas and they work very close and in concert with the United Nations, which is, for the most part, a governing body. NATO, as we know, the military side of the United Nations party. So see, you already got NATO. That's a world kind of military system. You have the United Nations that is a world governing system. Now you have this URI, United Religious in, uh, uh, Initiative, that's kind of a religious, religious entity. Amen. And so, again, it sounds like a conglomerate church that's setting up on a government system. I'm hurrying on, I'm hurrying on. Please, please don't check out yet. You could also go to www.gamip.org. It's under construction right now. I hate to tell you, but... It stands for Global Alliance for Ministries and Infrastructures for Peace. It was formed in, uh, I believe it was somewhere around 2005. This group, is well-connected globally, has pushed its way since the forefront. It kind of was playing in the background around this, what the Global Alliance for Ministries and Infrastructure for Peace all developed as an effort right after 9-11 and the fall of our World Trade Towers in New York. This was kind of birthed from all of that happening. And since then, it's kind of pushed its way from the back to the front. It's recognized in over 50 countries across the world notice what its name is but its name was formerly known as the new age movement so what was the new age movement has now taken on a new name called the global alliance for ministries and infrastructures for peace doesn't that sound huggable and lovable 50 countries from around the world it comes up right after a, a devastating event for America and so it's now become a very social, spiritual, political group. They've totally, listen to me, folks. This group has totally redefined, redefined the meaning of scriptural terms. They've redefined the term God, Jesus, atonement, Pentecost. They've redefined terms like oneness, revelation, new dispensations. They've redefined what sin is, what love is and fear but listen a lot of these things that you see publicly where people are speaking at or even books written on after particularly 9-11 that's supposed to be helping people through their hurt and their pain guess who's underwriting that these people yet they are or was known as the new age movement oh he is deceptive very crafty you may have noticed you may have noticed as Sister McGee my little slide asked you to make you may have noticed one of these Again, that group is nothing more but another, you know, effort to try to unify the world. So when we're talking about is there any religious system coming together, well, I just gave you three real quick that could 
you know, be possible. You ever seen anything like this, a, a bumper sticker on a car? Usually blue background, white letters. Yeah, you, you've probably seen them. What in the world is that? Look this. Wonderful. Yay. You know. Oh, you, you, got them, you got them to see what they mean, huh? They vary somewhat from place to place how the symbols actually look. Uh, sometimes where the, the, the yin-yang symbol is, which is the Buddhism they have, uh, sometimes that's a, a circle with a peace sign or with a pentagram that's right here. But basically what this is, and you have, there's also the tolerance bumper stickers. Same thing, a lot of times it's blue background with white lettering. But each one of the letters is to symbolize a different, per se, religion. Yeah, there's another one. To, 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 to depict a different religion of the world. Now, don't take real long to figure out what's going on. Can't all of these different religions just coexist? Can't we all just tolerate one another in our narrow differences? So if you look at one of those right there from the start, the sea with the star, that is the, 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 crescent, the crescent moon for Islam, for the, the religion of Islam. The O again with the, whether it's the yin yang or, or the peace sign, uh, sometimes it has the uh, pentagram in there. Uh, peace symbol, whatever, that's what everybody's striving after. Other times it's the pentagram, which I believe everybody has a good idea what that represents. Uh, the pentagram has anything to do with wickedness, uh, witchcraft, uh, 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 Satanism, so on and so forth. The E, you see the male, you see the, on one is E equals MC squared, which is uh, Albert Einstein, the, the science, you know, because there is, having science within religion is a big thing. Thus, out in California, you have the Scientology churches. But whenever you have the, the male-female signs on the same E, what, what, we're, talking about, we're talking about the LG, lesbian, gay, transgendered. That's what we're trying to represent. Can't that and all this, can't we all just coexist? In, 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 the, uh, in the X, you have the star there. What that is, that's the star of David. That's to symbolize the Jewish faith or Judaism. The I, you see, there it just has a little circle. Others, it has the I and the pentagram. That's a, those are symbols of paganism or those are symbols of Wiccan symbols. Uh, you know, people like to talk about the star of the pentagram, that it's really the four elements, and it may very well be. They call it the four elements, the earth, the air, the water, the fire, and plus the spirit as well as the fifth point. Uh, but the circle connects them all. If you, if you take, though, the star and you turn where the point's down, you have the goat head of witchcraft. I don't know if you know that. Whenever a star's pointed upside down the pentagram, you have the goat head of witchcraft. I could point out something interesting. I won't right now, but maybe for a future night because I'm really going here. All right. But when you see the S as it is there, the yin-yang symbol is a, that is a Confucian symbol, it represents nothing more but opposing but complementary forces in nature. As well, it represents masculinity and femininity attributes right there. And then the T, of course, we've got to pull in Christianity. We've got to pull in Christianity, and we've got to bring them in there too. Now, there's everybody holding around crosses, um, but just for a little, you know, everybody looks at the cross, and they say, well, that's great, they're holding a cross, you know, the cross of Calvary. But the original, if I can tell you, the original place where the cross originated and people holding on to it was from Samaramis' son, Tammuz, that she supposedly prayed for 40 days and he came back to life. His name begins with a T. That's really what that all really links to from prior to death, burial, crucifixion of Christ's days. And if I can just, since we're playing trivia here, 
right now, some portions of the world and some people of the world are involved in 40 days of Lent, abstaining from certain things, eating fish and things only. That really goes back to Samaramis as well because for 40 days she prayed and she lingered for her son to be brought back. And that is where the 40 days of Lent is derived from. It goes all the way back here. Babel. So I close on that high note tonight if you'll stand with me. <laughs> Amen. <sighs> is everybody okay? I know your brain's just probably regurgitating, but that's okay. Be like a dog and go back to it and look it up. All right. It'll be all right. Go back to the podcast and, and listen to it again. That finishes for me, Revelation 17. We'll go on and look at the political. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.